Welcome to NAFI Break. I'm Dominic O'Sullivan and I served 15 years in the Air Force as a, as a physical training instructor. I had a great time. I was a young tearaway when I joined and an almost mature 32 year old when I left. My transition was varied and eventually fruitful but with a lot of learning along the way. The toughest part I found was proving myself all over again to a new audience in the commercial sector. I hope these podcasts share some insights into that transition process for others, maybe making it easier for them to find their next career. So grab a brew and hear about some above average Joes that I know who've successfully transitioned from the military into a second career. You'll hear their story, some insights, inspiration, and a little bit of forces humor. In this episode, we're going to meet Alan Nell. Alan served for nine years in the Royal Navy, and I first met him in 2013 when he was organizing a major charity event in support of Scotty's Little Soldiers, the charity that supports our bereaved children of our armed forces. Alan's journey is not a traditional one. It's probably not even one that he'd recommend to anyone else. But over the course of his time out of the service, he's now found a vocation that he truly, truly enjoys. I've broken this podcast into two parts so that we can focus a little bit more on his current role in part two. I hope you enjoy it. Follow the podcast and give us a little bit of feedback if you can. Welcome to Alan Nell. Thanks very much for having me along, Tom. What's here? We know each other originally through the uh, the world record Scottish rugby match back in 2013, uh, and my my observation and admiration of you has grown over that time. And and the more I've, I've found out about you, the more kind of uh, you know much respect I have for you. So I'm really pleased that you've kind of given up the time to come on the pod today. So. Um, now, now that I've kind of put you on the back foot, because no, no serviceman or ex-serviceman likes to be flattered. So that's straight away. I know we'll put you on the on the, on the back foot. Um, Alan, tell it, tell us about the Alan Nell um, who decided to join the Navy and why. What was the um, what was the start point for you? 
Um, I, I, I suppose the, the star point was, was, was Granba, to be honest. Um, Ex-Chief Petty Officer in the Royal Navy. Um, took a lot of action in the Second World War. Worked on the minesweepers after the war as well, clearing all the old mines and stuff. And just his old swashbuckling stories of, of, of there and doing stuff. And I just thought, you know, that's, that's probably something I want to do. But then I, I think it really came from, from school, in particularly not doing very well at school. Landed up in building college. I had no aspirations to be a builder, but my dad was in the building trade, so I just kind of fell into it. And and I, I remember at the time we only had about four four lads on the course, and and we used to go for a pint at lunch at college, and um, we we just didn't go back in the afternoons. And my, my dad got wind of it, big bust up. He said, "Where are you going with your life? You're going to be nothing." The typical dad talk that I give my kids now. And um, I just said, "I'm going to join the navy then." And he said, go on then. So I literally jumped on the train over to, to Liverpool to the careers office and, and that was me. That was an escape, maybe, from kind of hometown, the way to get away and get on? Yeah, it's sure. it's, it's a bit like the math hurts now, isn't it? A little bit, you know, born in Blythe <laughs> and raised in the Navy. But it, it, it was it was just having no clear direction of, of, of where to go or what to do. Um, and... Um, you know, the, the opportunities in, 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 in Merseyside at that time for, for, for me was slim. Um, in yeah. terms of maybe some labour and jobs or something like that, and, and not for me. And you've made reference there to the, the current Navy adverts throughout there, which I actually think are fantastic, to be honest. But it's interesting, isn't it, if you think back to when you joined and those adverts now and, and how many years apart they are, actually the kind of message or the intent is, is exactly the same. You know, it was kind of, you know, born in this area, but actually, you know, the Navy sort of shapes and, and directs. So let's look a little bit more into that then. So um, what was the route you took in the Navy? So what, what did you end up doing while you were in the Navy? Um, so I joined in the uh, mine warfare. Uh, so working on mine hunters, mine sweepers. Um, so that, that, that was my trade. Um in, in terms of seeking out mines and, and getting rid, basically, uh, using the Mercatrol submarines and ROVs uh, and, and, and basically a deckhand as well, able seaman. I also did a uh, tour of Northern Ireland as well. So I was on the uh, Royal Navy patrol vessels, what were converted minesweepers, and we had attachment to the Royal Marines on there. So we used to jump on ferries and fishing boats and virtual stuff. And so I was doing that for three years as well. So I kind of missed all the fun. All the fun trips away because I was sat off the coast of Belfast for three years, you know. So, but um, <laughs> by, by and large, I mean, only, I did like nearly nine years in the Navy and got as far as Turkey. Tell me about the progress within that that kind of nine years that you see. Sort of started out, young guy moving away from home, bit of fun, crack with the lads, I suspect. How, how did the kind of progression through the Navy work out for you? Yeah, do, do, do you know what? I, I, at 18 years old when I joined, I was a, I was a, I was a shy lad. Yeah, really, really quiet. Um, I, I think that's probably the reason I didn't do too well at school. I was, I was the great kid of class. I just kind of just blended into the background and what wasn't naughty, uh, wasn't wasn't academically brilliant. I was just there. And I, I, when I got into the navy, it was it was it was the probably the lack of confidence that I had to get over and, and to believe into myself a little bit. So kind of got in there embraced it i was ready for it um and um you know so i did a couple of years on my first ship hs pembroke um and then i, I moved on to my well, promotion course up to, to the next level uh then 
went up to Northern Ireland for a couple of years and then I, I got up to Leading Hand. Um, what was probably after about six years and then um, joined my last ship was that was the uh, HMS Banger. Um, and it was kind of in charge of, you know, a couple of the lads on board there, you know, still a junior eight, but a bit more respect off people and stuff like that. And uh, I, was, I was doing really well. Uh, it was, you know, potentially next stop was Petty Officer, so senior eight. Um, but then, you know, it, it, it's a young single lad's job at, at, at that time. And, and then I got a mortgage, I got married, and, you know, I think your priorities change a lot at that point. So career path, it, it, was, it was going good. I was really, really enjoying it. And, and I, I will say that, and I, I absolutely loved it. You know, you'll get me wrong with some terrible times like you've been in Dex and it, Gale, but um, I, I did enjoy my job. So you said there at the point where you kind of got the mortgage, got the got the young family. How, how far into the, the career was that? At what point were you? Did you get married and perspective change a little bit? Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, I met, met Laura when I was about, uh, twenty-one. Um, I joined at eighteen, so I've gone a couple of couple of years, and then bought a house a couple of years later. Got married a couple of years later. Um, so about five or six years into into my naval time, it was yeah the house and. The, the days of going out and blowing 150 quid on a Tuesday night in a bar <laughs> didn't go down so well, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. These days that'd just be a good couple of hours as well, wouldn't it? That kind of money. But uh, so, so obviously quite young then to you know to to have the foresight to kind of buy your own property and what have you. Was that was that normal in the in the navy? I mean, I obviously went through the air force ranks, and it, it wasn't common for the lads of that age to consider buying houses and look at the future. Was that something because being away on ships and having a kind of shore base and things that was that common within the within the ranks and the navy? Uh, I wouldn't say it was common. Uh, kind of the moment came to me. I was I was I was based your side at the, the my warfare school, and I used to sit in this this port cabin with three of the grumpiest old chief petty officers you've ever heard. Most of them ex divorced and hated the wives. You, and stuff. you are painting a really glamorous picture of the navy at this point. <laughs> you realise that, don't you? <laughs> but um, as, as a young lad, there I think I was only about twenty nineteen, and they were like, "No, the, the only advice I can give you is buy bricks and mortar as early as you can." Because um, otherwise, you'll literally just spend all your wages in the bars. And, and I thought it, it kind of just resonated with me a little bit. I thought, yeah, do you know what? I will try and make use of some of the money. So yeah, I was uh, you know, owned my own house at twenty three. So the house and the relationship, and obviously family, changed your perspective slightly. What what were the what did the priorities, or how did the priorities shift in that time? What were you starting to think about other than what you'd been doing up to that point? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was the conversation of having kids, really, was, was the big one. And it was, well, you know, do, do, you, do you stay in the job? And, 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 the, and the armed forces are very clever in terms of, you know, potential bonuses. If you just hang on for another two years, you get another little lump sum in your hand and stuff like that. And you know, your half pensions and your pensions. And, you know, Laura, Laura's, who's my wife, was like, well, you know, do you want to see your kids? Because potentially at that time, the way the way the world was going, it was, it was six months in the, in the Middle East um, on a squadron and then six months at home, but not being home for them six months, being based up in Baslane in Scotland. So it was like, I, I really wanted kids at that point, but I didn't want to be in one of them relationships where you only see the kids now and then. And we don't have the technology that we, used, we have now in terms of teams. Yeah. It's, it, it was yeah. when you were away, you were away. And the family, and I didn't want that. I, I was going to say, I'm casting my mind back to the days of phone cards 
uh, <laughs> to, as a way of keeping in touch with the UK when I was out in Cyprus. So you, you're right. I mean, that, from a welfare point of view for the service, that's obviously a lot a lot better set up now in terms of you know communications with family when you're away. But back in at that time, as you said, a pretty tough ass. So. Where, where were you kind of thinking then? You, you come towards, you know, nine years we talked about that, that you served. What was the preparation in your mind? Is what, what were you going to do next? Or how did you kind of prepare for that transition at that time? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say if there's an example on how to do it, I'm, I'm probably a good one. <laughs> um, it, it was kind of, at that point, you had to give a year's notice. I don't know if it's still the same now, but when I joined, it was 18 months notice you had to give to, to, to the Navy. But... Uh, they reduced it down to a year. Um, and I just kind of thought, you know, I had a conversation with Laura and she was like, you know, she was every Sunday night getting upset and we going back and, and just that, that horrible feeling of going back. And, and it was a funny story. I, I used to get the train a lot and like Sunday night, 10 o'clock, and, and I suppose a lot of people in our forces will, will, will understand this. It was like sitting on a train and going past the back of people's houses and you see people just sitting in the houses you know, just chilling out watching telly on a Sunday night and I think, God, I've been travelling for five hours to get back to the ports with or something and you're just jealous of people sitting at home with it. It's really weird, but And then normally what would happen, people would put the notice in and then sometimes within that year, they'd get cold feet and retract it and stay in. Um, I didn't, but I, I didn't, much like school again, I just didn't have a direction of where I actually wanted to go. I had an idea in terms of, uh, I've, I've got a really good friend of mine, Ian Coupland, who, who was served with and he went, he left just a little bit before me and went into refrigeration engineering, uh, did his resettlement package and thought, job looks all right, he's doing all right and on City Street, I'll do that. Um, but then it all fell through. <laughs> so in terms of getting ready to uh, to leave, obviously the services, you know, has what we call a resettlement package back in, in that time where you can kind of retrain or train for something specific. But as you say, you weren't quite sure what you wanted to do. It was almost like, well, go on, we'll we'll have a go at that and and, and see what comes of it. So so at the point where you actually come to leave and you know hand in the, the chitty on the last day and walk out the walk out the gates what was it that you went into what was the first thing that you you kind of found yeah well I mean the, the settlement for me was 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 not good in, in terms of basically I, I booked onto a refrigeration course um and, and I think I was I was crash drafted there was, there was a gap on a ship that you needed covering so I was like in fact it was my old ship that I went back to that I think someone had fell ill and I just stayed there, and I was having a happy other stuff. I was having a great time, <laughs> um, and and the, the course got cancelled. Went to sea, um, and and I don't think I was too too bothered because I didn't particularly want to go into refrigeration engineering or anything like that. I had no, but the the, the problem I had was my, my skills in in, in in civilian environment was not transferable in terms of I blow minds up. How how do I transfer that into a city occupation of the council don't need people to blow up mines in ponds in the park. So it was, it was, it was thankfully not. No, <laughs> yeah. but you know, there wasn't a real clear path for me to, to go. I mean, a, a lot of the guys leave will go and work offshore, uh, you know, ROV operators and stuff like that. But I thought, well, I'm leaving to be at home. Why, why would I leave to then go back to sea? That, that's not what I was interested in. 
So it was um, up, up to the final day of leave, and I, all I'd really done was a CV course. Now, I think that's interesting when you when you said there, you know, what you did in the service wasn't transferable. Obviously, we're not blowing minds up in the in the council parks and what have you, which is fair. But when you look back on it now, and the things that you do, and you know what you what you work out now, can you recognise transferable skills and kind of experiences that you had that actually have kind of stood you in good stead, or you've been able to kind of you know, it, it employ those skills rather than the actual job? Because like for like job, as you said, there isn't one. But do, do you recognise it now, but maybe not at the time, recognise that there was stuff you had that you could use? Yeah, I, I, honestly, like I, I would say the armed forces, that they they build you in, in terms of the confidence. Like I, I went in a really shy lad and I walked out like, like I feel like I've talked myself out of any situation in terms of, the, the, the confidence um, that, like, having to give a, a brief, if, if we're going to tow another ship and I'm in charge, I have to know what I'm on about. So having the ability to stand up in the front of a, a group of people who, who really know their stuff and explain what we're going to do, like, give me the confidence in myself that, yeah, do you know what, I, I, I am really good at stuff. So I think the leadership is, is certainly something I've taken on, the, the ability to talk to, you know, big groups of people in my, my, my current new job the world I'm in now is I have to talk to hundreds and hundreds of people and it doesn't phase me one tiny little bit and and I think that the confidence and, and I think the main thing I got from the armed forces was being able to talk to people and and, and just being an approachable good honest person and, and that that always got me through the armed forces. I think something that strikes me and previous guests that we've had on the pod as well is, is maybe we need someone to confirm at times when we're leaving the service <clears throat> just what we have to offer and almost sometimes translate the language that we use in the service to describe things into what the commercial world understands you know some of the <clears throat> abbreviations and and language we use in the service acronyms you say that to your average kind of employer and they won't have a clue what you're on about but someone to decipher that and say actually all the skill you're describing is this when you come out if someone had given you that kind of insight or that understanding do you think it would have been a little bit easier when you went to apply for jobs to realize that actually i can do that job there because i have done it before it's just called something different did, did you find any element of that yeah I, yeah and, and i'll probably let the heart way a little bit as well i, I mean i did a cv writing course and i, I think what the problem in terms of the forces is you have this persona that you know, you're, you're the best of the best. You're, 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 when I walk out of them gates, I'm going to be the hottest property on the job market. And it's it's really not like that at all, to be honest. It's what I found. It's like people don't really give a monkey's way where you've been or what you've done or, you know, what machines you used to use and stuff like that. They don't care. Um, but funny enough, I, I'm struggling to, to get get to interview stage. And, and, and I've done the armed forces CV training. Um, so what I actually did, and, and it's a good friend of ours as well, a, a chap called uh, Jason Worthy. And uh, he, he was, you know, really good position in a, in a, in a big company. And I'd, I'd sent my CV, to, not to apply for a job, but I said, could you just have a read through my CV and just pull it apart? The bits you don't understand or you think is not relevant, but what is an employee in, in, in Siri Street looking for? And you know what? He was brilliant. He, he just 
pull it apart, take that bit out. I don't even know what that means, blah, 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 blah. Take that bit out, not really bothered about your GCSEs and, and, and stuff like this. And and within that 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 rebranding of that CV, I got five interviews straight away. And it, it literally just took a, a, a new set of eyes to cast over it and go, yeah, here's my advice for what you need. But interestingly, a new set of eyes, not from a military background, not from a military mm. environment. Actually, as an employer in a commercial setting, looking at, I mean, must look, you know, Jason, I know we both know Jason, he would probably looked at hundreds of CVs uh, in his role. And actually to be able to say, what, what will stand out? What are the things that I'll understand and want to see this person for an interview? Because as you said, you weren't getting interviews. So that, that sounds like a real turning point there. Yeah. In, in having that done so so what was the first job that you landed then as a result of you know the interviews and actually getting past the door yeah yeah so the the, the first job was um uh I, I worked for a company called Cotswold Group what were then since bought out by G4S popular in the old forces I know um and I uh I, I did surveillance so in for, for insurance companies uh, so it's basically it, it sounds really exciting, but it was sitting on the back of an astrofan and following people who were claiming that they couldn't walk and stuff like that and and catch them playing football. And um, it, it, <laughs> I've it, seen it these things on the TV and they're quite yeah, funny to watch, yeah. actually. But I can imagine if, you know, if you've got to sit there for hours on end, it's maybe not so glamorous. Yeah. And and, and to be honest, it, 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 it wasn't really for me. It, it was a job. So I had to talk and it was paying the bills. It, it, it was kind of my bridge into civilian street. But I mean, the very nature of doing surveillance, it, a lot of it was like ex ex army and marines and stuff like that, and then you've got this ex sailor who just kind of just fell into it, who's never done surveillance <laughs> in the life. But um, so th that was good. I, I moved around that company a little bit, started doing uh, statements through uh, Stage Road, Daxton. So it, some of it was quite interesting, but it just gave me that that platform and a little bit because it was like a lot of armed forces guys and that, that kind of transition into. A civilian, like, could kind of detach him from the from the armed forces, but still having a little bit of a link in there. We're going to take a short break from the podcast with Alan, but we're going to come back in Naffy Break Part Two. What I found quite interesting uh, listening to Alan's story was that it wasn't an obvious path to what he's actually doing now, and he made some sort of left and right changes along the way. But something that resonated quite strongly was that his desire to look forward to the future with his family and the decision to buy a house quite young um, was something that's, uh, that isn't common within forces people, particularly in their early years in the service. So please grab another brew, come back and listen to the second part of the podcast with Alan, where I think you'll be uh, fascinated to hear his story as he moves into the charity sector and the role that he's become.